JB, did you see the games I picked to attend this week? I mean, come on, man. Did you see those games I picked? Those were some really great games to pick, Frank. But otherwise, some of our other picks this weekend... Eh. Oh, you mean like these? This is the game, or this is the situation where I got in trouble last time. I, I feel like... Um, was it a Friday night game also that Endicott played that I made the prediction and uh, looked like you a jackass? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to pick WPI to win this game. 28-21. Uh, I, I, I'm going to freaking regret doing this. I, I know I'm going to regret doing this. <laughs> I'll take the Golden Eagles at home. I think that defense is going to cause some turnovers, and Brockport will win it 31-21. to uh, Springfield versus Rowan. Um, Springfield's got a quarterback issue right now, obviously. I, I pick Rowan to win at home. 31-20. Uh, Yeah, I'll also go with the profs. Our, our friend Juan San, uh, Sanchez will appreciate that. I think uh, Rowan wins it 27 to 21. Going to Region 3 now. River Falls at Hendricks. Go. Hmm. I don't know a ton about River Falls, but, uh, you know, it is a long trip for them. I'll, I'll, you know, we've been we've been pretty positive on Hendricks. I'd had them rated pretty high in the preseason. Go Warriors, uh, hold some home court, wins 35-28. to 28. Yeah, I like Hendricks in this matchup, too. I think the uh, offense should be able to really kick it into gear against River Falls. Uh, the score will be 28-20 to 20 in favor of Hendricks. And there were a lot more where they came from, JB. Trust me. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's week two for you, Frank. I mean, we're, we're just a couple of weeks into the 2021 season. Been a lot of interesting games, a lot of surprises. Not so some, in a way, it's kind of good that our predictions aren't really panning out just yet. It makes for a lot more excitement every weekend. But there's one thing I have to talk about, a prediction I made on D3Football.com that I didn't really talk about much on our show uh, last week. It was in Quick Hits. The question was, surprising 2-0 uh, start team, basically, uh, who would start 2-0 that maybe nobody really saw it coming. And I picked RPI with their schedule. Uh, we saw Montclair State and Stevenson. Obviously, they had beaten Montclair when I made this prediction. But Stevenson, yeah. obviously, uh, has a lot of horses uh, to keep that analogy alive again for this week. Uh, <laughs> but uh, some interesting things happened. Uh, folks saw it on social media. The families that were up on the hill, uh, Annie Cohen and company, we'll talk more about her in a little bit, actually, on this show. Uh, they were all up there rooting on the team. I, I found it really special to see them all up there on the hill and the team going over to uh, pay tribute to them. And then the team paid tribute essentially to me, but it's really to us, okay? It, it was just the sure. fact that I'm there that day uh, for what we have done in terms of being out in front of this whole let them play, let the parents in situation. We did it with the USA South uh, last, uh, last season. Uh, we're doing it just as much with RPI and sending messages to Shirley Jackson, the uh, president at uh, RPI. 
so today I went to uh, my parents' house where I get my deliveries uh, normally made, and uh, an interesting thing uh, appeared. And there's been a challenge uh, of sorts uh, that. Uh, oh boy, I know uh, what this huh? is. <laughs> I think you do. I, I want to read before I, I go here. Uh, All right. Frank and JB, thank you for all that you do for our sport. I know it's backwards probably on the uh, screen here, but uh, for our sport, we appreciate you. I can't wait to see you both wearing the RPI gear. You have to send picks. All the best, Coach Icernia. Coach I. Well, who who, who needs pictures? I can just take my microphone off. One second, folks. Okay. Oh, boy. This is a big deal for a union guy, I think, Frank. You know. Listen, JB. If they're willing to give me chance and appreciate us for what we do, then the least we can do is sport some RPI gear here. Oh wow! Get the visor too. You really are like co- you're you're like a coach or something. Well, uh, not just that. We also get the uh, both of us get uh, a visor, this shirt that I'm wearing, and a uh, long sleeve version of the shirt here. Wow! Uh, as well, so. Coach I, you outdid yourself, and uh, RPI players, families, etc. cetera, uh, thank you for, here, to get up here and show you the uh, that it is, in fact, RPI I'm wearing here. Uh, thanks for all the uh, support and love uh, this weekend. Uh, tough weekend with 9-11, as uh, people know, we uh, talked about it on Friday a lot and how tough it would be, and it was tough for me. Uh, but to yeah. see the families, the support, the love, and everything else, you know what? By all means, I will wear RPI gear, uh, just not on the uh, days that they play Union College, that's for sure. JB, you'll have to send pictures of yours when you do it, okay? Uh, so Coach Icernia uh, knows that you, too, can wear RPI gear and not feel bad about it. Absolutely. And I'm going to tell everybody, this is Season 14 of In the Huddle. Okay, Crunch Time Show. Uh, folks should know by now what this is. We're trying to get it out a little earlier than last week with a little bit less of the weekend activity that we had. But uh, JB, uh, one thing I didn't do last week was ask you for your initial insights and thoughts on week one uh, when uh, we did that. So let's do it for week two. What were your initial takeaways from week two? Well, just uh, kind of what we alluded to a little bit in jest at the beginning of the of the show is that some of these games um, are going to sort of play out not exactly like we would expect. And so, yeah, some of our predictions were off and some of our predictions were on. Some teams looked a lot stronger than we may have thought, um, getting to see the debuts of a few uh, former national ch- Defending champions like the uh, like the North Central Cardinals, boy, did they look good in, in their first game. Um, but ultimately, Frank, you know, it was funny. There was a lot of um, kind of little mini rivalry, you know, cup games. There was the Wesley Cup, the President's Cup, 
there was a few um, you know things just kind of getting going here uh, before we sort of get into conference season. Uh, I know the Centennial is and and some of the bigger conferences have, have basically already started, but we're getting sort of those last little you know kind of out of conference games in, and then we're going to go full steam ahead into conference play. And this weekend, uh, those this bonus from the NESCAC will be joining us. You see, yes, of course. And uh, it time to talk about Williams and Middlebury and all of these types of things. Thank you, Thurston Baker. Let's go yes. to crunch time for week number two of the Division Three Fall 2021 college football season. We'll start with a game from Friday night that I attended and that we alluded to in our cold open, and uh, it was a decision I regretted in terms of the prediction I made, as I suggested. Uh, but we'll start here with WPI Endicott, and in the first half, it was 14-0 WPI at halftime. Uh, we go to the second half, 8.50 left in the third quarter. Brandon Wynn gets his eight-yard touchdown run to make it 21-0 in favor of WPI. Hey, that looks like lights out, right? Not so fast, my friend. As a minute 40 later, Anthony Caggianelli with a one-yard touchdown run for Endicott. It's 21-7 now in favor of WPI. With nine and a half minutes left in the fourth quarter, Jeffrey Ingrando gets a 43-yard pass from Anthony Bracamonte. This is a, a reverse-type situation, obviously a trick play, and it is good uh, for, from 43 yards out for a 21-14 score now. 2.44 left in the fourth quarter, Shane Alward gets a 32-yard pass from backup quarterback coming into this game, Clayton Marenghi. The, it makes it 21-21 when the extra point is good. So 2.44 left. We're thinking overtime here, right? Not so fast as Dante Cacagna throws an interception to Mike Lefebvre at the Endicott 35, and that is where they would get started with 2.13 left. With 20 seconds left in the fourth quarter, John Kenny gets this six-yard touchdown run. It is 28 unanswered points for Endicott to win this game, 28-21. to They rally from that 21-0 deficit, Kenny with the touchdown, and Wynn had two rushing touchdowns that went for naught at the end of the day for WPI, but Endicott with a big win. What would you think of that one? Well, I know. I know. A few years back, we we got uh, you know some people making fun of us for the some of our time of possession uh, theories and whatnot. And I guess you know it's, it seems like Endicott that make that statistic a little a little bit uh, flaky sometimes because it, it it only took them about four and a half, maybe five minutes of actual game time to score twenty eight points. Um, and that comeback was really something else. I know that WPI's team has been slightly affected um, you know, by COVID protocols and they didn't have maybe you know, their full arsenal out there. Uh, so that's gotta be a disappointing loss for the engineers to be that close to you know, winning a game like that uh, on the road. But uh, you know, no risk for the weary transit trophies coming up again this weekend. And so a uh, quick turnaround for the WPI engineers. Indeed, let's go to our next uh, Region 1 game, which was MIT at Salve Regina. MIT was up 2-0 early on a safety, but with 3.44 left in the second quarter, it's this play to Hayden Holmey. Fake, Jack, back to pass, McLaughlin, wide down the field, and caught by Hume, and a touchdown! 
Caden Hume had his defender beat by a step. Perfectly thrown pass from McGuire. 7-2 on that 55-yard touchdown pass. Now we're going to fast forward to the fourth quarter. It's a 15-9 Salve Regina lead when Joey Moriello gets a 45-yard touchdown run with about three minutes left. And that makes it 21-9 in favor of Salve Regina. MIT gets this pass from Chris Mock to Keithan Shepard to make it 21 to 16. So there's still a chance with 46 seconds left. You know what that means? Onside well, kick, and here it is. He over that front line. It's a hard kick, and it's taken right away by Salve. Great catch. It was a ground ball, and DeVito. it was hard hit. Max DeVito. Scooped up by Salve Regina, and they win the game by the final score of 21-16. to Moriello, 28 rushes, 195 yards, and a touchdown. Jack McGuire from Salve also with 209 yards passing, two touchdowns. The defensive back Will Exon from MIT led the uh, team with 10 tackles. Let's talk about Springfield at Rowan. Late in the first half, we were tied at 14. Tim Callahan gets a 12-yard touchdown run. I should note that David Wells did play in this game after the injury in Week 1, and that was one thing we didn't know going in when we made our predictions. Not that I'm making excuses for how bad we did on that prediction. Then at halftime, we'll uh, just kind of fast forward here and tell you uh, Jake Hurler got a 28-yard field goal uh, just as the uh, time expired in the first half to make it 21-17 in favor of Springfield. But in the third quarter... It's Tim Callahan with a four-yard touchdown run on the ground, and that is his third touchdown of the game to make it 28-17 Springfield. In the fourth quarter, here we have a 54-yard run that put the whole thing away. Isaiah Cashwell-Doe with that 54-yard touchdown run to make it 46-17 Springfield. Final score 46-24 over Rowan. 495 rushing yards for Springfield. That's not really a surprise in a big win like that. Tim Callahan with 21 rushes, 151 yards, and three touchdowns. Mike Husney from Rowan with 221 total yards and two passing touchdowns. I want to finish up here on Region 1 before handing it back to you with FDU Florham at William Patterson. And we'll show you a few plays from this one. First, Connor Perez from uh, FDU getting a 42-yard pass from Anthony Caserta. About eight minutes uh, left in the second quarter. It's 13-3 FDU at this point. William Patterson uh, later on gets a touchdown with 131 left in the second quarter. It's an 85-yard touchdown pass to Matt Clark from Spencer Lee. Great chance there to bring this thing closer to 13-10. But Nick Santavica had a seven-yard touchdown run before halftime for FDU that really kind of took some win out of the sails of William Patterson to make it 19-10 FDU Florham. And then... Uh, eight seconds later, you want to talk about wind out of sails? Here's really where the wind came out of the sails, as it's Kenny Hands with the 16-yard fumble recovery. Check that name. It's Kenny Hands, and he had the hands there to bring that <laughs> touchdown in to make it a 26-10. FDU lead. They never look back, and Jimmy Robertson gets his first win as head coach. FDU Florham. Congratulations, Jimmy, as your offense had 41 rushes for 111 yards and four touchdowns. Great day by your team there. Spencer Lee from William Patterson with those 22 yards and uh, one touchdown. Uh, 15 for 23 day there. You see the other scores from Region 1. JB, take me through Region 1 the way you want to. Well, I think, um, you know, we talked about some of these uh, cup and bowl games. The uh, Western New England uh, Golden Bears won the President's Cup. Pretty lopsided game. Uh, SUNY Maritime came up a little short in the Chowder Bowl on Friday night. Uh, so that's a nice win for the Buccaneers out there in sort of the, the South Shore. Um, 
Montclair State's offense still hasn't scored a touchdown, Frank. Um, losing 26-2 to uh, to Del Val. That game was actually a little bit closer than I thought it might be. Uh, but Montclair really needs to get working on their offense with NJAC play coming up. Uh, another coach that got their first win um, at Misericordia, uh, Coach Davis, um, with a 28-7 victory over new program Keystone. And elsewhere, uh, I thought actually Anna Maria had won 23-20, but Nichols, the Bison, kind of sneaks up and, and gets, a, gets a quick win there on, on the road late. And um, in overtime, UNE, the, uh, the North the Nor'easters uh, managed to to outlast Bridgewater State, and uh, Coast Guard came up a little short as well to Curry. And uh, another interesting score, Frank Widener, uh, taking care of Hamden Sydney. The pride is two and zero, um, and you know, kind of maybe one of those quiet teams in the background there in the MAC now that Stevenson has dropped two straight. Let's move over to Region 2, and this was a big game uh, nationally. It is UW Whitewater at Salisbury. And uh, you see the score there, but let's talk about how we got there. 6.58 left in the first half. Tyler Holty with the 12-yard pass from Max Myler. Everyone, it is Max Myler. He was on our show. He told us how to pronounce his name. It's as if he's running a mile. He's a miler. Please get it right for the man because he's uh, doing some great things out there for Whitewater. And it's a 7-0 Whitewater lead. Then in uh, a little bit later, uh, the next drive basically, three plays later in fact, Jack Lanham was sacked for a 13-yard loss, but he fumbled the ball. It was recovered uh, by him, but it forced a punt uh, right afterward. And it is with uh, just one play, Ryan Wisniewski with a 70-yard touchdown pass from Myler you're seeing here. That makes it 14-0 as there's badly blown coverage on the left side that you saw there for that touchdown. In the third quarter, Jack Lanham, though, tries to keep it close with his feet this time. A 14-yard run to make it 14-7, UW-Dub. Uh, but six minutes later, Wisniewski, again from Myler, from 34 yards out this time, makes it 21-7, Whitewater. And that's pretty much uh, all there was uh, to see there because they just pulled away with the final score, 31-14, Whitewater. They were ranked ahead of Salisbury by a few spots in the poll. Uh, but we thought it might turn into something like this or maybe a little bit closer scoring, but ultimately a lot of people talk about the fact that Salisbury just looked like they were undersized compared to UW's uh, size on the lines, and that might be what led to the eventual widening of the score. Myler with four touchdowns on the day. The defense held Salisbury to 247 total yards, one interception, and two for 10 on third down. Uh, give me your brief thoughts on that one before we move forward. Yeah, and from watching that game, I think really it was the Warhawks offensive line that was the difference. They just had more size and strength up front. And, you know, Salisbury is built to be more of a, a you know, lean attacking uh, style of defense. And they did have some, some some plays here and there. They did have the scoop and score, I believe, a, a little later on. But you could tell kind of early on in the game that this big Warhawk offensive line was going to be able to hold up and, and that's why you saw Myler, you know, come with some of those long passes was Nooski. They're going to be a very dangerous duo going forward. Indeed. Let's talk about the game uh, that has caused me to wear this shirt. Stevenson at RPI. And it was a good first half start by George Marinopoulos, putting his head down and running in for the four-yard touchdown run, shared by Reddit CFB, in fact. Uh, so got some national coverage for this game through that. Good job there, George, with a 7-0 lead. 
but Stevenson before halftime gets a Brody Campbell 26-yard field goal to make it 7-3 at halftime. Kevin Joppe in the fourth quarter gives Stevenson the first lead of the game for his team. It's 10-7, Stevenson, after the one-yard touchdown run. Eventually, er, before that, I should say, there was a bad punt snap by RPI that gave the short field to Stevenson. So it was only a 19-yard drive that took four plays. Special teams mistakes, we've seen so many of them in these couple weeks. But then... It's Delano Muniz-Watts with the four-yard touchdown pass from George Marinopoulos with 34 seconds left. Great job by the defensive RPI to get the ball back in the first place, but Marinopoulos and company with that extended drive of 57 yards over nine plays gives them a 14-10 win over Stevenson. Marinopoulos didn't have what I would call superb numbers, and we talked about that in the interviews that you can find on Twitter, but... You know, Stevenson outgaining them 261 to 174, but RPI still winning the game. It's bend but don't break pretty much for that RPI defense, and the offense did what they needed to do again with less than a minute left the second straight week. Talk about the uh, upset of sorts here Ithaca at Brockport. And in the first quarter, you thought it was going to go Brockport's way with 8.50 left. It's a safety as Wingfield was sacked for a loss of 10 yards in the end zone by Josh Greenwood. Uh, so Brockport gets a 2-0 lead right off the bat. But six minutes later, Andrew Vito with the 71-yard touchdown pass from A.J. Wingfield makes it a 7-2 Ithaca lead. Later on, it's the 35-yard uh, field goal by Nicholas uh, Bahamonde, I want to say is the correct pronunciation. It's 10-2 now, Ithaca, with 1.14 left in the second quarter. Jale Code gets the one-yard touchdown run to put Brockport within two points, 10-8. Go past halftime on the other side of it. Look at what happens here with Miles Haynes with the pick six from 35 yards out. Makes it 17-8 Ithaca. Baja Monday gets two more field goals of 42 and 29 yards to make it 23-8. And that's all the scoring we'd have in the second half as it was 23-8 final. Ithaca takes down Brockport at Brockport. The defense forced six turnovers, but the Brockport defense held Ithaca to seven first downs, including only a one for 16 day on third down. 19 rushing yards, in fact, was all they uh, could achieve. So not exactly the most picture perfect game. Talk more about that in a second. I just want to talk about this behemoth of a game. Uh, Fasten your seatbelt here, folks. Yep. Susquehanna at Franklin and Marshall. That is not a misprint. Five OTs. We'll explain a little bit more after crunch time why it play, uh, panned out like this because of the rule change with uh 1347 left in the second quarter it's michael roosh with a quarterback keeper from 17 yards out to make it seven to zero susquehanna in the third quarter though jack o'heron gets a 29 yard pass from logan klaus to tie up the game this was on fourth and 11 and it was a defensive pass interference flag that you're seeing there to make it seven to seven but later on as things uh, started mounting up on the scoreboard, Franklin Marshall had scored 21 unanswered when Jermaine Conyer gets this 19-yard touchdown run with 10 minutes left. It's 21-7, Franklin and Marshall. Susquehanna scores, gets the ball back. Samuel Darrell with a 31-yard touchdown pass from Michael Roosh. This is uh, good, 21-21. But then there's a field goal attempt with three seconds left by Susquehanna that's blocked from 50 yards out. So we end up going to overtime. In OT2, let's take a look here as Elijah Hoffman gets the 37-yard field goal 
and it is responded to by a 40-yard field goal by Jack Rodenberg. So we are now tied at 24 piece. OC number three, it's battle of two-point conversions now. Both teams make their conversions. Also in OT number four, same thing, 28-28. In OT number five, it's first and goal at the Susquehanna three for the two-point conversion. Franklin Marshall is Logan Klaus. The pass attempt is uh, incomplete to Will Hickson. So here's a chance as Susquehanna gets a chance. Man out into the pattern. That's Josh Parson. Give left side. Neffenden stopped that. Ball came loose. No, it did not. Touchdown right at the pylon and Susquehanna wins. The call is a good one based on the replay you're seeing here. The ball was in his possession and crossed through the pylon area. And if you hit the pylon, you are considered in the way the direction he came in. So it was a good call, and it is a good win by Susquehanna by the final score of 30 to 28 in five overtimes. Let's see, uh, you see everything there uh, in terms of stats. Let's go back to the wide look at uh, Region 2 here. JB, you point out the Ithaca win, it's a big win, but some interesting numbers are derived from that game, and then the Susquehanna game as well. Yeah, I mean, the the Ithaca-Brockport game was, was kind of a mess <laughs> in certain respects, and, and maybe the it's because the the script was flipped on, on the uh, Golden Eagles, who benefited from six or seven takeaways in their week one win, but then managed to give the ball back to the Bombers six times in this loss. And really, Ithaca's... Um, Defense really should get the the credit because they you know the, the pick six was a huge play in the game, uh, and the offense really other than that one long pass to Vito couldn't do anything against this Golden Eagles defense. So um, you know the credit the Bombers they they win they move into now the uh, the D3Football.com top twenty five which I know we'll talk a little bit about later on in the show or later this week at least. And, um, you know, certainly great weekend for the Liberty League, Frank. 6-0 and uh, across the board. Other conferences like the NJAC, not so good. Uh, just interesting sort of results that we're seeing early on in the season. Undefeated Liberty League this weekend. Uh, a fully defeated uh, NJAC uh, in this weekend. That, that's yeah. just oh, something you don't expect. Yep. Let's go to uh, Region 3. It's Birmingham Southern at Huntingdon. And uh, let's talk about the Robert Schufert show. It really became that in the second half. Uh, it's 20 to nine after halftime. And Schufert uh, gets a one guard touchdown run with four minutes left in the third quarter to make it 27 to nine in favor of Birmingham Southern. Then Schufert gets a 23 yard touchdown run 27 seconds later after they get the ball back to make it 34 to nine. Touchdown number four on the day with Schufert's six-yard touchdown run with 10.23 left in the game. Very surprising that Birmingham Southern manhandled Huntington on the scoreboard the way they did, 48-9, as Huntington had led at the half, 9-7. Schufert with 28 rushes, 213 yards, those four touchdowns. But the defense of uh, Birmingham Southern forces six turnovers, and that really wore down that Huntington team. As you saw, you have back-to-back touchdowns by Schufert, basically. Uh, in the third quarter, and there was a lot more where that came from. In another barn burner of a game in overtime, it was Christopher Newport versus Averett. And let's talk about that Matt Dzerski again with the 10-yard touchdown run to start the game four minutes in. It's 7-0 in favor of Christopher Newport. But at 7.40 left in the first quarter, 
Let's see what happens here. That again, put on H back in motion. Jackson, another pass. More good protection. He's got a receiver. Left-hand side. It's caught. Touchdown. That was a beautiful wheel route and a catch by Mosby. That 24-yard touchdown pass to Jared Mosby makes it 7-7. The halftime score after Will Cavanaugh's 46-yard field goal at the end of the half is 17-7 Averett. Averett's Nick Andrews is going to be heard from right here. Going deep, looking right. Averett gets back on defense. Boy, it is caught. Good job by the receiver to get that one and get it in for a touchdown. Bryce Jackson finding Andrews from 56 yards out to make it 24-14 in favor of Averett. So now in the third quarter, Xander, or later in the third quarter, Xander Jedlick gets a 40-yard touchdown pass. Great catch by him here from Dzerski to make it 24-21 Christopher Newport. Ryan Castle, though, in the fourth quarter, 12 and a half minutes left, kicks a 46-yard field goal. Makes it 24-24, and then the teams later trade more field goals to make it 27-27. Aver gets the ball back. Looks like they're going to go in to score, and watch what happens here. It's intercepted by CNU. They'll return it. They've got a big return in the works. 35-40. One guy to beat. This is going to be a heartbreaking turn of events for Averitt. Get one chance to tackle him. It will at the 11-yard line. Oh, my goodness. They get way downfield, but there is a flag on the field for an illegal block of the back. Back at their own 35-yard line. So instead of being in scoring position, they're back at 75 uh. yards from the house. And so they are forced to take overtime eventually in this game. Averitt strikes first. Will Cavanis gets this 37-yard field goal to make it 30-27 to Averitt. I can't explain what happened next, so I'm going to let the audio do it for us. Carter, it's going to be a double reverse. Jack's looking to throw downfield. It's up to the Cougars! They try to get to play. The Cougars pick it up, and they win! Not sure why Christopher Newport felt they need the razzle-dazzle at that point in time with the double reverse, but they tried it. It failed with the interception, and Averitt wins 30-27. to Cavanis with those six kicks that were good, uh, including that game winner in overtime. And Dzerski, though, on CNU side, gets three total touchdowns for his team. Without highlights, we're going to talk too quickly about Catholic at Randolph-Macon, 62-10. to Surprising how distant that game was. That, that could have been one of your big buzzers uh, earlier on, I hate to tell you. Um, Justin, yeah, Justin DeLeon with 20 rushes, 106 yards, two touchdowns. Presley Egbers, 11 for 17, 230, three touchdowns, just one interception. Josh Webb for Catholic with 11 tackles, including one for loss. And Apprentice, which is a provisional program, uh, beats Brevard 34-27. A little surprising there. It was in overtime as Brevard trailed 27-17 with 7.44 left. Gets back to even, but loses it in overtime. Mason Tatum from uh, Apprentice has a day of two touchdowns against one interception. Jerome Bass, the 63-yard pick, six, nine tackles, and three tackles for loss in that game. This was not the most exciting region in terms of, you know, the breadth of scores and everything, but that Averett-Christopher Newport game, wow. Yeah, no kidding. And second week in a row that the captains from CNU have been involved in a, a, a real nail-biter. Uh, but, you know, the, you have to give this um, special teams unit uh, from Averett a lot of credit, too. I mean, all of those kicks and... Actually, Christopher Newport's kicker did a good job, too. I mean, a couple of 46-yard field goals from each kicker at a D3 game. I mean, that's pretty impressive stuff right there. And it's definitely made for um, a more exciting game amongst 
honestly, Frank, which was a, a bunch of blowouts. We did see that um, the Guilford Methodist game was postponed, most likely due to COVID protocols. Really, the only game that was kind of close in this region, Frank, honestly, was Shenandoah's 30-21 to 21 win over uh, North Carolina Wesley, and otherwise kind of blowouts across the board. Uh, Case Western had a big night. Um, uh, Drew Saxon, their quarterback, is thrown for eight touchdowns already in the first couple weeks of the season. We plan to talk with him and uh, the Spartans a little later this week as they have a kind of important game that we've heard about between them and Westminster, who is going to be back in action week three after week one's game with Mount Union. You say Westminster, I think Chile, but we'll just keep on moving here and talk about region four, five, and six. Uh, starting in region six, as uh, East Texas Baptist was at Mary Harden Baylor. Uh, this game started a way that was much different from the spring game these uh, teams played, as Anthony Avila made a 45 yard field goal to start the game three minutes in. 3-0. Remember, he missed four kicks in that uh, spring game. So now let's look at the highlights uh, from there. Jefferson Fritz. I feel like I've been saying his name for about 10 years now on this show. He'll catch it and try to set up the wall on the far side. He has it to the 30, to the 25, to the 20, 15, 10, 5, touchdown! Fritz with a 44-yard punt return for touchdown to make it 10-0. Then let's watch Kyle King lose his head. I mean his helmet in this play as he rumbles into the end zone from one yard out. It's 17-0 in favor of Mirahard and Baylor with five and a half minutes left first quarter. 24 seconds left in the second quarter. It's Gary Ruckman from Kyle King from 21 yards out. It's now 24-0 UMHB. A glimmer of hope with only 23 seconds left in the third quarter for ETBU here to the right side, Bowden being pressured in the backfield, he drops the football, it's still on the ground, picked up by the Tigers at the 20, out to the 30, to the midfield, to the 40, to the 30, 20, 15, 10, 5, touchdown, carrying it all the way back, 89 yards for the touchdown. That was Tommy Bowden in his quarterback, uh, probably uh, because of the success they were enjoying at that point, he comes in and also is uh, kind of the running quarterback, but he got stripped and you saw what happened there for the touchdown, but it was way too little, way too late for ETBU. They lose this game 34-14 to UMHB. Uh, Kyle King, three total touchdowns. Jefferson Fritz, as we said, just lights out, does everything on that field, and then some. And also, yeah. we, we have Aurora in North Central, Region 5, as North Central starts their season with a big win. Let's start with uh, Andrew Kaminsky. I feel like we're starting how we ended in 2019, but this time it's from Luke Lennon, uh, the six-yard touchdown pass to make it 7-0 North Central. Then D'Angelo Hardy with his 43-yard touchdown pass from Lennon. It's 14-0. They call him for taunting here with the dance he did. You can't be serious. That's ridiculous. But nonetheless, the No Fun League has come to the NCAA now. But it's 14-0. They can't take that touchdown away from him. Let's scoot forward. <laughs> Halftime was 34-0 North Central. Ethan Greenfield, one of his three touchdown runs on the night, 41-0 North Central. Final score, 64-7. North Central wins over Aurora. Kind of a surprise, the distance in scoring there. 16 rushes, yeah. 137 yards for Greenfield. The yardage, 6-10-219, including four sacks by NCC. Five tackles for loss, two interceptions, two fumble recoveries. As you talk about regions four through six scores, I will uh, flash 
uh, to our next slate just to see additional scores and our picks uh, going seven to five each. Go ahead, JB, real quick. Yeah, so in, in this um, grouping of uh, really more in regions five and six, we saw some games between D3 schools up against you know either D2 or NAIA schools. And we saw one against a, a FCS a Pioneer League school. And interestingly enough, Frank, um, you know, Linfield beat Simon Frazier, Whitworth, uh, second week in a row, they've won the game on a, on a uh, interception by their defense to, to improve to 2-0. They beat uh, Lincoln out of Oakland, California. Concordia, Wisconsin uh, beat uh, Judson, a uh, NAIA school. Um, Rose Hallman knocking off Trine by one point. Um, that might be a, a game that, that should, should have, could have made it to the, the highlight reel. A big win uh, for, for Rose Hallman, though. Um, and then St. Norbert drops a, a, a game to UW uh, Stout. And then kind of the flip side of this uh, of these other scores, the only ones that really sort of jumped out to me, Frank, honestly, um, Rippon 2-0 uh, with a 2014 win over Knox. They seem to be uh, kind of under the radar. Only canceled game, fortunately, Wilmington-Heidelberg. It's a bummer for the student princes, uh, for sure. I know that they want to uh, keep that momentum going from the spring season. Uh, but at least, hey, we only had a couple of games either postponed or canceled this weekend. Frank, to me, that seems like a win given what it could have been um, potentially, you know, what we saw last spring. That was crunch time for Division Three's Fall 2021 Week 2. Okay, JB, uh, as is a weekly tradition now, uh, let's talk about your MVPs of the week. Got some interesting ones here, including a female who actually didn't take to the field and actually didn't get to field level. So why don't we talk about yeah. that? Well, we'll start off. I mean, yeah, you have to give a special shout out to the RPI parents uh, and grandparents. Uh, pictured here is Annie Cohen, who you interviewed at halftime. You can see that on Frank's uh, Twitter feed. It's about a, a two minute, 15 second video. And it, yeah, as someone who she even says she works at, at a D3 school, uh, Wellesley College in, in Massachusetts, the, the policies that RPI has instituted um, for their families and their student athletes are pretty ridiculous and they need to change. Um, you know, of course, families are gonna go there and support their kids uh, and they're doing everything they possibly can given the restrictions. Um, and so, you know, credit them, they were definitely uh, MVP worthy in my opinion. And speaking of RPI, I had to throw in a, a couple of um, guys this week as far as defensive MVP, uh, senior linebacker Joe Deptula with 13 tackles. That was one of the better lines as far as that I could see from the different box scores of games. Uh, but sophomore Casey Counts from Salisbury really acquitted himself well. Uh, I think he had 11 tackles, forced to fumble, um, really was a big factor in, in you know Salisbury hanging around there with, with Whitewater. And, and so I wanted to give him credit for that. Uh, special teams, Will Cavanis, we've already talked about um, Guy accounted for 12 points in an overtime game, kicked the game winner. So awesome job by him. 46-yard range as a D3 kicker is pretty impressive. And then on offense, uh, you know, Robert Shuford, the career-high four-touchdown day. Speaking of four touchdowns, Max Myler did the same thing. He, he was uh, connecting uh, deep and other passes with, um, with Ms. Newski and others. Just an awesome performance overall. So I had to Throw it out to a couple of extra guys this week, Frank, and it was a really fun weekend of football. 
Yeah, Casey Counts, love that name uh, for your uh, defensive uh, MVP there. Salisbury, uh, even in a loss, gets uh, some good performance uh, from their players. Uh, it was a tough game, let's face it. Uh, just going back here a little bit yeah. uh, to look at the uh, different games and just uh, things that stood out. Again, in Region 1, uh, that Endicott WPI game, when you think about, we didn't get to talk about Union, uh, which is in, uh, we'll go to the Region 2 slide here, and look at a Union 62-13 to over Worcester State. They, yeah. Worcester State almost beat WPI the week earlier. And so when you're asking about whether or not there's separation in certain teams going on, uh, you look at scores like that, you say to yourself, well, Union probably should run over Endicott if they ever played them uh, because of how close that game was. But it doesn't always work that way. And so no. we're going to get a very good telling uh, tale this coming weekend when it's Springfield against Union at 4.30 on a Saturday. Uh, Interesting time. Yeah, yeah I... I can't explain that one to you, so we'll just go with it. Uh, I guess this is about as late <laughs> in the year uh, in this area you're going to get a 4:30 start time because of the way the weather will start to yeah. turn in the next few weeks. But that, that's going to be interesting to talk about to look at uh, as the week goes along here. Uh, you know, RPI with the uh, transit trophy scenario coming up too. Uh, they can't look past that game. That's always a tough one. Can you figure out Rockport? What What is this Empire 8 race going to look like after a kind of a not-so-great weekend when you look at the whole of the uh, Empire 8 scenario there uh, with Rockport losing? And uh, did we have even any other scores? I'm just trying to go back and look here. From the Empire 8, there wasn't much to talk about uh, Empire 8-wise. Yeah, I mean, Alfred, Alfred lost uh, pretty badly to Mount St. Joseph, um, Hartwick, uh, was able to to eke out a win, which was which was a positive for them, you know, to come back. Uh, we weren't really sure if we were going to see Hartwick, so um, you know, twenty three to fourteen over Alvernia, uh, Utica took care of Kane, um, and actually, speaking of the Empire Eight, it, it would look really good for for Utica to somehow try to get a win over Western New England next weekend. Um, it's going to be a tough matchup. It, it's not a game that I would say that. Utica, even though they're the Empire 8 team and supposedly in the better conference than the CCC defending champs, and honestly, Frank, in a way, Utica is kind of the underdog in this game, in my opinion. Yeah, and you look at Framingham beating or losing to uh, SJF, uh, that, that's expected. Mm -hmm. uh, Cortland beating TCNJ by a big margin, that's expected. Hobart beating Morrisville State, pretty expected. Uh, so I would say the reason we didn't talk much about the Empire 8 this weekend was because the results were expected results pretty much across the board, except for the Ithaca-Brockport game for a lot of people. And so that's the thing that sticks out. So Regions 1 and 2 are going to have some interesting uh, games coming up as we start to get toward conference play. Not all conferences in Regions mm -hmm. 1 and 2 get there immediately. The MASCAC, for instance, does because they have to just a limited number of teams uh, that they can play out of conference because of the number of teams in the conference yep. itself. But the ECFCs of the world, the Empire Eights, the Liberty Leagues, they all have to play at least a, a, what four if they want a 10-game schedule, uh, four uh, games versus uh, out-of-conference opponents. Uh, we're also that mm -hmm. way with the NJAC right now uh, as well. Uh, Centennial Conference, though, not so much. So 
th that's the thing you got to look at here. We've got a lot more out-of-conference games in Regions 1 and 2 than you see pretty much from the rest of the country. So we're not going to be talking much about conference action yet in 1 and 2. But in 3, obviously we are because we're already talking about Westminster and Case Western Reserve coming up in uh, Cleveland yeah. area. And that's going to be a big game. Uh, you know, Westminster had the week off. Case beats Waynesburg 66-33, 99 combined points there. Uh, yep. We'll see if the extra week um, allowed Westminster to kind of lick their wounds uh, because of their receivers not being able to play from injuries and whatnot. Also, though, you just look across the ODAC uh, situation. You know, Randolph-Macon steps up to show us they are who we thought they were uh, in the first place. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Region 3, the Barry whitewater game, which Pat Coleman, I know, is attending, should be interesting to see where Barry falls in the balance of power in Division Three right now after seeing what the Salisbury result was. you got you got to uh, say to Coach K, though, as we have in the past, congratulations for scheduling that game. You're going to grow from that game. Yeah, absolutely. And although the, the Vikings aren't necessarily an offensive juggernaut of a team and they've won their last you know two games and with not really any headline type of scores you know their if their defense can can just keep it you know interesting keep it close um it, it could be a good game unfortunately from what i saw with salisbury i i'm not sh i'm not so sure how long you know barry's going to be able to hang with the with the warhawks but like you said frank you got to give him credit for at least you know taking a swing and then talking about top teams uh, in the uh, final uh, boxes that we had shown earlier etbu umhb uh can you see the AASC being anything but Mary Harden-Baylor versus Harden-Simmons for the title at this point? I can't, and that that's going to be the way it falls, I think. Uh, North Central, though, 64-7 over Aurora. That, that just shocks me that they could do so well against St. John's and then look so pedestrian, uh, you know, against this North yeah. Central team. So I, I don't know what to tell you here besides – North Central is very good. Aurora may not mm -hmm. be as good as we thought. Uh, they're probably still a good team. They'll probably still win the knack, if I had to guess. But anything's possible, and Gavin Zimbelman it needs to make sure that his efficiency is up there because he did not have the best of days with that pass rush coming at him as much yeah. as it did. Maybe this also means that St. John's isn't as good as we think either. Um, Bethel has been quietly racking up some impressive uh, wins early on in the season, and maybe this is the year for the Royals to upset the apple cart and the Mayak. I mean, well, time will tell. It's still a little bit early on. But, yeah, no one expected NCC to win that game by 50-something points. But, you know, here we are. The weekend, this is it. They're taking on Wheaton in week three. Huge rivalry game, huge conference championship game in week three already. It's kind of crazy. Uh, we'll be talking a lot more about that later this week. It's going to be a big one. In the top 25, you have a situation where uh, Wisconsin Whitewater loses their first place vote but gains a spot to number two because of how close the points are right now. Uh, the thing that is shocking me is that when you take away the four first place votes that Mount Union is getting, and you average out what their points are per other ballot, the average is 3.5 in terms of the, the 3.5 place. So their average balloting after you take out the four first place votes and the other 21 ballots is 
between number three and number four, which means that some people are probably putting them at number five or six nationally. That's insane. What are they, did they, did they not seen the tape? I mean, and, and honestly too, Frank, is, you know, we have, you know, some good friends down in, in, in Belton, but 13 first place votes for Mary Harden Baylor. I just, I just don't see it. Um, I just, you know, the spring, there was a lot of tape on them. Their offense is still not really quite what I think needs to be at a national championship level. I mean, sure, they beat ETVU, and there will be probably a lock to, to run the table in the ASC, but I don't know if they're better than a Whitewater uh, who looked really strong against Salisbury, or I don't know if they're better than a North Central who looked incredible, uh, but it's still early on. We'll have to wait and see. I just I, I can't fathom putting Mount Union that low in this situation. No. I understand that you may want to put Harden Simmons near Mary Harden Baylor. I understand you may want to put Wheaton near North Central, and those games will play out over the next couple of weeks, obviously. But that being said, I just they have a new head coach. The head coach is the offensive coordinator, basically from days gone by. That's going to stay in the same position up in the booth. And nothing's really changing except the name of the head coach. Uh, and, you know, Vince Karras, who is the defensive guru pretty much for his team, not being there. But they have a lot of good coaching that where that came from. So I, I don't see what's changed at Mount Union that suddenly we're thinking that they're a number six, number 17, maybe even in some cases. We asked Pat Coleman if there was uh, data we could glean from that. And uh, as of right now, no. I know they're going to try to get some possibly out to their Patreon uh, subscribers about how the top five or top six shook out there uh, on everybody's ballot anonymously. I released my top six on Twitter, and nobody's really argued with it. And you can't argue with a lot of these positionings unless I think you really dog a team that has been, uh, you know, a perennial, like UMHB, Whitewater, North Central, Mount Union. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't get beyond that what we're doing with some of these numbers uh, and uh, placements. Yeah, you can shuffle those four, I get it. But beyond that, in Wheaton, I get this idea they beat North Central, but they've got to still win. They didn't get through the playoffs in 2019. And so things may have changed as the season went on. We don't know, we'll see this weekend. We'll also have, uh, I think, a couple players from Wheaton who we're trying to get out of our Friday show. So stay tuned for that, but I don't know. Also, want to talk about the five overtime game. For those that aren't aware, I believe this started in the spring uh, officially, uh, or at least the uh, rule was changed in the spring for the, uh, for the fall, I should say. The okay. overtime situation, which used to be as of a couple of years ago, that you would starting in the fifth overtime be forced to go for just two point conversions each team battle of twos. Uh, not just, and we're not talking about starting at the 25. We're just, we're just give the ball at the three, go. Give the ball at the three, go. Uh, and then in the third overtime, you're always forced to go for two after a touchdown. That's been basically compressed, the whole overtime structure now. First overtime, normal. Score a touchdown, go for one or two, reverse. Uh, second overtime is now score a touchdown, must go for two, reverse. And then... Okay. Starting at the third overtime, must go for two-point conversion only, no touchdown uh, opportunity or field goal opportunity. Must go for two on both sides. And that's why we ended up with three overtimes worth of two-point conversions in that 
what was who who were the teams? It's been so long. Franklin Marshall, Franklin yeah. Marshall, and Susquehanna. Yeah, uh, so yeah. Of course, it's a D three. It's of course it's a D three game that where this is going to pop up. You know, in a couple of weeks later, when it happens in some you know televised you know FBS game, it'll be like, oh, this is the first time we've seen this new model. And I'm like, well, no, we actually saw this in on September 11th <laughs> in D three. Yeah, so well, here at least. Folks. Well, I would have to guess that it's the longest game in any division that's uh, started at this overtime. I, I don't know of any other five-overtime game in D2, one FCS or one FBS, or three for that matter. We would have seen it in three. We've seen overtime games, just not five-overtime games, for goodness sake. The one thing I'll say to the NCAA, and th- this drives me nuts, when you force teams to go for two, you're actually creating more opportunities for ties because you're not allowing for variation in score. So a team would have maybe gone for one in the third overtime, and the other team finally says, I've had enough of this. I'm going for two. We're either going to win it so or lose it or lose. Yeah. Now you're forcing the issue that either you go for two and make it or you go for two and miss it. And so the permutations you can get are less because of this new or these rules that force you to go for two. It's actually not helping what they were supposedly were trying to help. Now, the whole, let's just stop the whole overtime thing and go for twos only, and that's it thing. Yeah, obviously that compresses mm-hmm. the game. But the officials didn't quite remember everything that went with that, and they had to take long breaks getting to the third overtime because they almost forgot that we go to the two points uh, battle there at the Susquehanna, Franklin, and Marshall game. So that's that. Um, we're going to have a player interview show midweek. We're going to have our preview show Friday, and I will be going out to cover a couple games. A couple things I'm looking at here. Uh, not Springfield Union, only because of the time of that game, unfortunately. Uh, if that was a normal yeah. 1 o'clock game, I would be there and love to see uh, my friends from both schools there, but I don't think it's going to be possible this week. But I will see Union games in the future. Uh, Hobart, uh, Ithaca, uh, I mean, those (laughs) really are stacking up to be important games. Uh, Unless Hobart can pull the upset, would be an upset, I would think, uh, by that point, assuming Union's still undefeated, and they are too. We'll see where it goes. Last thoughts? I think, um, you know, we're going to have some more stuff to look at for week three as we kind of transition out. Uh, some out of conference and into conference play. But once again, I think fans just kind of keep an open mind because we don't really know everything we're dealing with here. There's a lot of um, new players, new, new things happening. Uh, should be an exciting weekend. Once again, it's just great that we have some games back. Sure. There's been a handful of cancellations, but better that than a whole lot of them. So, so far so good. Frank, keep up the good work on the road. And congrats to our buddy Jimmy, who was an RPI guy originally. I should guess I go this way. Yep, RPI guy originally. He's now the head coach of FDU Florham, getting his first win. He was the first guest ever on In the Huddle back in the day in 2008. It's been a long time coming. So congratulations, Jimmy. And uh, congrats to you and your engineers for a good week, too. When I uh, was at the FDU game against Merchant Marine, uh, what was it, uh, two Fridays ago, uh, one of the players in the field didn't realize that Jimmy Robertson was this quarterback from RPI that debuted on our show or debuted our show interviews in 2008. He's like, really? I didn't know that. And I'm thinking to myself, you probably weren't even 10 years old at that point. So yeah. I shouldn't expect you to know that. <laughs> yeah, we're getting up there. 
no kidding. We must be getting out there if I'm wearing RPI gear for uh, at least part of this show. Thanks, Coach Isertia. Thanks, RPI. We'll see you guys later this week for a couple more shows.